So we're going to finish up uh, the doctrine of election tonight. I'm not going to go back through all those words because there's an absolute ton of words that we spent the last several weeks on. We're going to deal with uh, the last words tonight, and then in short order, I'll try to summarize best I can everything, and then we'll move on to the next doctrine. If y'all remember my triangle, uh, I'll have it up in two weeks again so we can add a level to that as we move toward glorification. But uh, uh, we won't meet next week. Don't forget that. So we're finishing uh, the doctrine of election on a good week. I'll be able to leave you with everything uh, before we take a week off. Now, this is a prefix, and it's on a couple of different uh, words that we find in the New Testament that's very important. Uh, if you just change this into English, it's P-R-O. And, of course, you know how we pronounce that. We pronounce that pro, but it's not pro. It comes from the Greek word omicron, so it has that ah sound, so it's pra. Uh, I'll show you in just a second. It looks like a W, but you'll remember this from colleges and fraternities. This is omega, and this is where you get your long O, where we would call this pro, but in Greek it's omicron here, so it's pra. And it serves the same way on all the words that we put this prefix in front of. So I'm just trying to teach you the prefix right now. And the only reason I teach you or tell you this right here is to just build word association. But pra means before. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. It's always dealing with before. Again, it's a prefix, and it deals with two things, either position or a point of time. Okay? I know this is getting kind of... Let me take all that off. Well. So position is still catching up. Position or time. In other words, so let's say I've got three marks. Which mark would represent the pra? The first one. And then think of it in this respect, long hand, short hand as a clock, okay? So it's either going to deal with position or it's going to deal with the issue of time, but it's always going to mean the same thing. It's always going to mean before, before in position or before in relationship to time. Does that make sense? So we take that prefix and we begin to stick it on the front of words. This is the first word, arvidzo. Here's your long O, your omega, so it's an O, or Rizzo, if you want to uh, write it out in English, it would be like that. And it's kind of position or time as well. It's either a boundary or to determine, okay? So give an example. Uh, you could talk about this word in relationship to property lines, boundaries that have been set. Or you could put this in relationship to things that you tell your kids to do. I've determined that your bedtime is 9 o'clock, okay, or whatever time that you guys pick. So arizo would be in into something that's set or established, it's been determined, or it's been fixed. So if we put this and see how he's done here, here's your PRO right here. So if you put this PRO in front of it, and you talk about the idea of being fixed, I fixed it before, or it's already been set. 
it has already been determined. In relationship to time, you show up, you ask somebody what time a party's going to be, it's already been fixed. We set that time last week. We told everybody it's going to be at 9 o'clock. We set that before. Does that make sense? The time has already been established. Not going to change that. Or the position was already established before. I know that may be a little bit confusing. But this is how these words work. Prefix, always before. Orizo, determine, or boundary. Okay? And here it is in relationship to a passage. Now, I want you to go to Acts 4 because I want you to see the context of this passage. All right, if you look at the uh, subtitle over, if you have subtitles, chapter 4, you see over verse 1, Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel. If you have subtitles down in verse 13, they're threatened and they're released, okay? Now I want you to look at verse 23, and that will catch us up to what I'm going to show you in this passage tonight. When they had been released, Acts 4, 23... They went to their own companions, the other believers, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, the other believers, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, and I would add, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, O Lord, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They quoted Psalms 2. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So here's our word, praorizo, and it's translated predestined. Now somebody tells me, tell me what, what it means. Something was already determined ahead of time. What was already determined ahead of time? So what happened when they crucified Jesus? What's that? It accomplished God's will. It was God's sovereign plan. God had already decided beforehand, praorizo. He'd already determined how his son would die. But yet it's carried out in time and space. But before there was time and space, God had already determined that Christ would be crucified before the foundations of the world. And so you can see how this word takes shape or takes place or how it's used. Now here's something fascinating to me. Look at how the believers interpreted the death of their Savior, and they're literally 
just a few weeks away from his death. In other words, they're not caught up or overwhelmed by emotion. And this is getting away from election, I realize. They're not overwhelmed by emotion. They're not filled with anger. They're not trying to overthrow Roman government. In the power of the Spirit, they sing praises to God, quote Psalms 2, and understand that everything that just happened happened exactly how God predestined it to occur. That's pretty amazing. But again, they're being led by the Spirit of God and they're not being driven by their emotions. But you can see how this word works, okay? The early church, I mean, we hadn't even given birth to the church yet, technically. They understood theology and they understood Jesus Christ died exactly how the Father had already determined it would go, okay? So that's this word. So we're going to bring it in relationship to us, right? The first one that we come to is 1 Corinthians 2. Paul is speaking about the gospel, and he's speaking about a crucified Savior through which we're saved. And he says to the church there, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, wisdom not of this age, nor the ruler of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. In other words, at what point did the gospel take shape in the mind of God? When did the gospel take shape? Before time. Before time. I mean, God didn't get in Genesis 3, and all y'all know this, but I'm, I'm just trying to show you it's confirmed in the text. God didn't get into Genesis 3 and go, oh no, how I'm going to fix this mess that Adam and Eve just made. That did not happen. He didn't go all the way through the Old Testament and go, well, I couldn't get it done through the law, so I'm going to have to figure out how to do it through grace and get in the New Testament and formulate a plan. The gospel was always the plan before a star was ever set in the sky. It was predetermined or predestined, okay? Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, and these whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now who gets brought into this? Same word. Who just got brought into relationship to being determined beforehand? Believers. And by the way... We're finishing election this week, and in two weeks, we'll be talking about all the language associated with the call of God. And again, we're working our way up, and this, is, this gives us the things that we work through. But again, you know, it applies to Christ, it applies to the gospel, and when you come into the, the realm of believers, it applies to believers as, as well. Predetermined, okay? Again, it doesn't release you from human responsibility, and I'll show you that at the end, but it's the same word, used exactly the same way. Ephesians 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us, and here's our word that we talked about last week, election, just as He chose us in Him, there's the time that you were chosen, reason that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He prorizo, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. You know, you, that's as clear as you can possibly get don't know how to make it much more clear than that. And it's not just means. Like Chris and them's adoption was Monday, right? But you have to understand when yours was. It was before time and space. And it's not, you know, he uses, Paul's using a word. It's not like God filled out adoption papers and, and all this business. He's trying to bring it into a relationship or a context that we would understand, right? Because we were the children of wrath, but now we've been adopted into the family of God. So he predestined us, notice this, to adoption to himself. So three boys got a name change this week, right? Hancock. And that's going to stick with them all of their days. Even till the day that they die, they're going to be Hancocks, right? Well, God predestined us to adoption and He brought us to Himself, but who did He do it through? He did it through Jesus Christ. Because we were the children of wrath, Christ dies in our place, suffers the wrath of God on our behalf in order that we might become the children of God. And all of this in the mind of God took place before time. Okay? And that's, in fact, it's, it's repeated in this word and it's repeated in this phrase before the foundation of the world. Questions about that? I'm not leaving this word. We've got a couple of more passages, I think. Ephesians 1.9 He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Christ with a view to an administration suitable, I don't know why they didn't just translate that word plan, this was God's plan, in the fullness of time, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in Christ also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. So this tells you what God, or the basis for God's predestination of you. What's the basis of your predestination? Trying to word that right. Based on what? What did He predestine you? Based on what? Is it? I mean, yeah, can't be more clear. And it was not your purpose. It was His purpose. 
And he works all things after the counsel of his will, not our will. It's just simply how God chose to do things. Okay? Again, before time. I thought I had another passage in there, but it may have. Uh, It went away. All right. I'm going to leave that word. Go to a new word. Same here. Looks like pro, but it's not. It always deals with the subject of before, position or time. Or, sorry, position or time. And then we have this word. Uh, ginosko. It's a long E, isn't it? It has everything to do with to know, to know about, to make acquaintance of. It's a little bit stronger than that. To arrive at a knowledge of someone. So it is to know before. Okay? We're going to put those two words together. It simply means to know before. And then you bring it into the context of God's Word. Second Peter 3.16 Paul is defending, or Peter rather, is defending the Apostle Paul. And he says, In all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. Let me stop right there. So what do false teachers do? That's how they work. They take the Word of God and they twist the Word of God. And we relax because we think, oh, they're quoting Scripture. And then we're reminded Satan does that as well. So it's always been the same. I'll take the Word of God. I'll mention Jesus. I'll make everybody relax. And then I'll twist the truth and present it to you. And they do this to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, and here's our word, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Now, this passage is the reason I dropped out of, uh, what was that class? What's one of the first classes you take in seminary? Systematic theology. Yeah. So I signed up for two classes in Rainsville once upon a time. Uh, I begged God for some sort of Bible class, right? Finally get one. New Orleans comes to Rangeville. I sign up for Church History and Systematic Theology 1. So we're sitting there in Systematic Theology 1. I really liked history. It was well worth the time. If you can take any sort of history class, it's always worth it because that gives you context, right? Sitting there in Systematics, and he begins to explain this word, and he does it just in relationship to knowing beforehand. So his God, we don't worship the same God, his God simply knows beforehand and makes decisions because he's ahead in time. In other words, he explained God like, you know how you're driving down the freeway and those yellow lines, you know, the closer they are, they're just zipping by and it looks like one straight line. He said, but if you look out further, you can see the gaps in the line. And the closer you get, 
you, you lose sight of the gaps because they're just going way too fast. But if you look farther ahead, you can see all those gaps way out in front of you. It doesn't matter how fast you're going. He said, and God works that way because he knows farther ahead of time than us. And so he's able to make decisions and accomplish things according to his will because he can see just you know, a little bit farther ahead than we are. In other words, his God is always responding. He's changing. He's doing. He's reacting. Now, that's not the God of the Bible. God is sovereign. He predetermines and prefixes things. So I looked at my buddy sitting there, and I said, I'm out. And so dropped the class the next day. I said, I'm, I'm not wasting my time at all. I, I just will not do that. I'm way too old and grumpy to waste time. But he takes this word and he simply translates it as knowing beforehand. So he says, God knows beforehand. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. Therefore, he'll adjust time and space to accomplish his will. And I'm like, oh, no, not the same God. Because if you take that word and begin to apply it to other passages, it doesn't work. 1 Peter 1, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you are redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown when? Before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. So in other words, foreknowledge applies to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't have anything to do with God peering down a highway, seeing gaps in the road so he can hang Jesus on a cross to fix the mess. Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. He was foreknown. Okay? It's not simply meaning God knew what's going to happen tomorrow. We just read the passage about Calvary. Even the first believers before their church understood that the crucifixion of Christ was according to the purpose and the will of God. Everything happened according to what God wanted, right? He didn't orchestrate that on the fly. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know, this man delivered over by the predetermined, there's our word we talked about just a minute ago, by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Again, early believers, they understood that Calvary was always the plan. Now, we can't escape, when you look at this, what's the difference between this sentence and this sentence? What's the difference between those two? Yes, keep going. Say that louder. Sovereignty and human responsibility, they're always there. God determined that his son would die on Calvary. He determined, if you read through the Gospels, everything, even when they divided up his garments, was planned by God. And at the same time, those men who divided up those garments are fully culpable. They're morally responsible for what they did. And if that doesn't connect in your brain, join the crowd. But that's what the text says.
okay? That's why if you ever think election is not fair, well, you're forgetting that you're responsible to repent and believe, okay? They're both there. God put them there, and he designed it in this way. And you can't, you can't drive a wedge in between the two. The Bible always speaks to them in the same context. And what people want to do is they want to cheat to one side, and they want to explain everything according to one half of the equation. But if you're a math teacher, you, you can't just work with one half of the equation. You've got to work on both sides. And so that's why we work on both sides. Wherever we find ourselves in the text, that's what I'm going to explain. But here's a passage where you're like, they're side by side. I know. Isn't that cool? Okay. But you see, foreknowledge has nothing to do with God looking down a road. I mean, he was delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. God designed it, and that's what he means by the word. Now here he comes into relationship with believers. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called, again, I'll deal with that word next time, who are called according to his purpose for those whom he knew beforehand. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren these whom he predestined, he called. These whom he called, he justified. Those who justified, he also glorified. So, what does this mean? Somebody tell me what that means. Let me talk about this Sunday. Sanctification. Sanctification. What are the chances you're going to be sanctified? 100%. What are the chances that you're going to be exactly like the Lord Jesus Christ in character? 100%. I'm telling you, that ought to make you fall asleep tonight with a smile on your face. Because I think in this church we talk about sin enough for you to be broken often with tears rolling down your face. Going, why did I say it? Why did I do it? Why did I think it? But I'm going to really try to be encouraging Monday, I mean Sunday, if I go here, and remind you that there's a, like a 100% chance that you're going to be fully sanctified one day. You're going to be perfect Every thought is going to bring glory to God. Every feeling is going to put a smile on his face. Every word will magnify his name. It's 100%. Why? Because he foreknew you and he predestined you to be exactly like that. And so you're going to be like that. Isn't it going to be cool when we have conversations in glory and they will all glorify his name? 100%. And the only reason that's going to happen is not because of you or not because of me, not because we've bought into some training plan, right? Not because we've disciplined ourselves. No, it's going to happen 100% because God predetermined it to happen 100%. That's the reason it's going to happen 100%. And it's going to be absolutely cool, okay? 
All right, a couple more passages. Romans 11. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. That's Israel. That's why I interpret Romans 11 as the gospel coming back to Israel. Um, I think this is my last verse, and I want to spend a little bit more time here. Yeah. Okay. First Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. There's the word from last week. They're chosen according to the foreknowledge of of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. One day we'll walk through 1 Peter. But what's this that we notice here? What's that? That's the Trinity. So let me ask you this. Who's been at work in your salvation all along? The triune Godhead has been at work. And it started with this right here. God the Father put your salvation into effect before there was time and space. Because you were chosen based on or according to the foreknowledge of God. God made that decision in eternity past. In order that Jesus Christ would pay for you on Calvary with His blood, and the Spirit would go to work in your life, bringing you to saving faith. I mean, you've been God's plan since the stars were set. And the triune Godhead went to work to bring that to pass. Okay? I won't take time with that passage, but anyway... That's a lot to think about. That's a lot to, uh, to soak in. But that's where it started. That's where it started for all of us. If you go through this, let me see if I can actually erase all this and it'll go again. I'm reluctant to mess my slide up. I'll learn one day not to make so much. No, it's not going to do it. So I'll choose purple. How about green? Can't see that. Can you see that? All right. When did that take place for you, Tyler? Before time. Cody, when did that take place? When? Are you on a year? <laughs> pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. 1995. No, 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 no. You're ahead here. Oh, I'm proud. Okay. So, number one, in the foreknowledge of God before time. Number two, Calvary. 
Number three, when did that take place for you, Chris? 14 years ago. 14 years ago. That, number three, we've all got a different answer for. Because that was the day that the Holy Spirit brought you to saving faith, convicted you of your sins. But you've got to understand, when Jesus Christ died on Calvary, that day you were saved. Or the day that God set his affection on you in eternity past, that day you were saved. Because it was going to come to pass. And nothing, anything in heaven or the other side could have stopped that. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Okay? One took place before time, one took place on Calvary, and one took place when the Holy Spirit worked on your heart. All right, uh, we'll close with a summary, and I cheated and used these guys' summaries. Um, I'll just read them. In his greeting, Peter assured the passage that we just read, his persecuted believers, and by the way, this is why I think so many Americans don't like the doctrine of election, because we've never been persecuted. If you were sitting somewhere in a North Korean prison and you're in prison because you love Jesus and they were about to put you to death, the doctrine of election would be like a warm blanket over your soul. Because you know that the day you die, you're going to be with the Lord who predetermined your salvation in eternity past. And that would be your comfort. We don't need that comfort because we've never been persecuted for our faith. But anyway... That's why Peter wrote those words. They were being persecuted. Peter assured his persecuted believers that they were included in the redemptive foreknowledge of God. Now the Redeemer is presented as central in that divine knowledge because in 1 Peter 1.20, Christ was foreknown. And that translates as a perfect passive, God himself foreknew his Son and designates the central place that Christ had and continues to hold in the gospel or in God's redemptive plan. Much more than prior knowledge is involved here, God foreknew the whole program of redemption, and His foreknowledge rested with affectionate favor upon the Christ who had been chosen as man's redeemer before the creation of the world. Before the establishment of the material universe, universe before there were human sinners to be redeemed, Christ, in the eternal counsel of God, had already been chosen as man's redeemer. Christ's work as redeemer was never an afterthought. And then Zimic adds this, and I would add, based on the same data, the same words, the same grammar, nor is the predestination of the elect to belief and to eternal life an afterthought. In other words... Because Christ was chosen beforehand, you were chosen beforehand. If you were not chosen beforehand, Christ was not chosen beforehand. You're like, how can you say that? Because that's what the words in the grammar say. Period. Okay? Because he was, we were. Because we were, he was. Same thing. So, theology of election. The Bible is exceedingly clear based on the... Uh, on the basis of election, it is not found in man or what man does, but in who God is and what he has done. And that reminds me, turn to Psalms 14. 
because there is a, ah, I don't know if it's, you'd use the word heretical, there is a false teaching that has taken place much in the south, on Sand Mountain, and in the SBC. Psalm 14. Rob, read first three verses, please. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all, um, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So when God looked down from heaven, what did he see, Rob? And nobody understands. No one seeks after God. And here's the bad thing that so many believers, especially in our own denomination, has been taught. That God looked throughout time and space. He saw Chris Hancock would accept the gospel. And so he went about the business of bringing the gospel to Chris Hancock. Now, is that what Psalms 14 communicates? Not at all. Chris was no good. Chris was never going to seek after the Lord. Chris was always going to do his own thing. He would never understand why he didn't even need a Savior. That's what God saw when he looked at Chris. He never looked through time and space and thought, well, Chris is going to accept it, so I'll give it to Chris. It doesn't say that. And so that's some of the false teaching that's gone around in our own denomination. It's simply not true, okay? Why did God set his affections on Chris? <clears throat> Affectionately, I say, I have no idea. But he did. And it was according to his plan. All right. Those who have been sovereignly chosen by grace understand, this is important, that they are to consider themselves chosen from the same lump of clay that is under the wrath of God, but by the mercy of God, they were taken out for His glory. I mean, there is no pride if you actually understand this doctrine. It's great humility. Unconditional election, if asked what are the principles which underlie God's choice in election, the only positive answer that can be given is that He bestows His favor upon men and He joins them to Himself solely on the basis of God's own free decision and His love, which is not dependent upon any temporal circumstances with us. What is revealed of God's work of election runs right across all the usual human standards. And you think about this. So some of y'all um, that have adopted kids would probably understand this. Because I, I remember when Paige and I went into Tabitha House for the first time, and saw this little girl from Guatemala. <laughs> Had no idea what was unique about her. There was a little boy in the village too. We were bringing those kids home. But those were based on emotions and human standards within her own heart. I don't know what drove us to pick one girl out of, I don't know, hundreds of kids in that orphanage. Or I have no idea why my wife fell in love with this little boy that was the first time we met him, he was at the top of the tree because he was afraid to come down and meet us. So he's way up in the top of a coconut tree just looking at us. 
But all of that that was going on inside of us was based on emotions or how cute the kids were or something like that that caused us to be drawn to those particular kids. That is not the case with God. There is no human standard. You were chosen for His purpose, period, to accomplish His will. He didn't never look at me and go, oh, he's cute. I think he'd make a great kid. That was not what he did. Those are human standards. It was simply based on his will for you to bring glory to his name. That's why. Okay? Uh, all right, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll answer these two questions, and I'm sure we've got to quit. Is it getting late? Oh, we got time. we got time to kill. All right, so there's kind of two questions. One of them's kind of answered. But read Ephesians 1.4, and you'll find the purpose of election. And every time I walk through that passage, I tell you what it is. Ephesians 1.4, the purpose. And then the ultimate purpose is found in 6, 12, and 14. So kind of get both of those answers, and then I'll ask somebody to answer it. Oh, we got quite a bit more to do. Oh, well. Oh, well. We got to finish my last night. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen, right? All right, what's the purpose of election? One four. That. Okay. So how about this? Stop living life for yourself and realize that God saved you for a purpose and get about this business, okay? Get about that. That's what he's doing. The ultimate purpose of election in verses 6, 12, and 14 is what? That's always the ultimate purpose, that we might glorify his name. All right, I always told you that uh, human responsibility, and I don't want to leave this on the table, so turn to Romans 10. A couple more questions for you. Read Romans 10, 14 and tell me what is absolutely necessary in order for you to be saved. What's necessary, Nathan?
Read 8 through 13 and tell me what is absolutely necessary for you to be saved. Who wants to answer that? That's absolutely necessary. Believe in your heart. Repent, confess, believe. So watch this. I mean, this is this is the design of God. So you've got the foreknowledge, right? Of the Father. That's where you were chosen. You've got Jesus, Christ on the cross you've got the Holy Spirit who gives testimony to Jesus Christ in the hearts of men the gospel must be preached the gospel must be heard and men absolutely without question must repent and believe in the gospel that's the design of God and you're not you're, you're not going to skip out on any of those if you do, you're not going to come to faith. Okay? It's all a part of His plan. There is sovereignty and there is human responsibility. God brings you from being a rebel to one that has given His life for the glory of His name. And that's the process that He's chosen to do. All right, so I jotted this down if you're, you guys are taking notes, and if, if you don't get this down, I can give it to you later. I studied back through all the passages that dealt with reprobation where God predetermined some to judgment, and I was a little less sure of myself, but there's all the passages that you got to wrestle with, okay? And then uh, I think that's my last slide.